This week we're discussing Peter Chan's 1996 film Comrades Almost a Love Story and then 2001's uh, oh, significant masterwork, Rave Macbeth, which is quite literally what uh, it says on the tin. Both films are exactly what they say on the tin. I um, hope you enjoy this week's episode. Um, as per usual, you can contact us at 10tbhardrivepod at gmail.com if you have any questions for us. And if you wish to, at the end of the episode, you can like the episode on whatever app it is that you are listening on. So I hope you enjoy. Um, kick this uh, episode off here now with uh, a quite a uh, quite long discussion on Maggie Chung and why she might be the most beautiful person to ever appear in films. Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. See you later. did say you'd watch one of the worst films you'd seen in a long time along with one of the best I think it'd be fair to say that one of the best is Rave Macbeth is that the, is that the best is that yeah. the best Comrades is one of the worst films I've seen in a long time <laughs> Macbeth is clearly the best <laughs> yeah um, no well, well let's, let's stop messing around here let's, let's be serious here Comrades <laughs> almost a love story um, we're gonna let's start with that one. I've got a very simple question to start with, and it's you know it's a bit of a crass one, but you know I think it needs to be asked. Is um, is Maggie Chung the best looking person who's ever appeared in films? Because <laughs> like, I've I've long held this opinion anyway, yeah. but like seeing her in like these mid nineties Hong Kong films, you're like, oh god, this, this seems like the easiest job in the world, like making a film <laughs> good with Maggie Chung in it. It's just you film her in close up, and you've it's pretty much the whole movie, you know? Like, you don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah, 100% she is. Um, also a long-held view of mine as well. Um, the uh, French filmmaker who's... Um, I'm going to butcher his, his surname who made a film with her, Irma Vep. Um, yeah, Olivier Sayas. Olivier Sayas, yeah. His... Um, I think I I think I was never really like drawn to his films until I realised like one was just a love letter to his at one time wife um, Maggie and that was definitely yeah. the best part of the film for me as well. <laughs> uh, this one oh. definitely had more than just her beauty going for it, but it was certainly uh, a draw. Sorry, what were you going to say? Are you not a fan of Irma Vep? Uh, yeah, no, I really like it. Um, that 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 scene. I, I think the problem is there's one of my favourite scenes in like all of movies from that era um, when she mm. uh, gets dressed up and she goes out onto like the roofs and she's wearing the latex thing and she gets into the character yeah. and that Sonic Youth song is playing um, I can't remember the title of it now that one about the carpenters uh, brilliant song Tonic I think um, yeah but the rest of the film no I, I like it I just I'm not I wasn't kind of 
blown away by it. I know you're you're a big fan, aren't you? Because obviously you've got uh, the Demon yeah. Lover reference in your in your Twitter handle. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm a huge Asaias fan. I love Irma Vep um, a lot. I love the series as well that they did I was uh, last ask, year. Did I don't you know if you saw that. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love the series. I, it, I honestly was like weeping at points of that show, wow. and it was like the bits when they when he the Asayas, um stand in was in therapy and he was like talking about his ex wife who was the Maggie Chung character, and like they cut to the footage from Irma Vep of her on the roof, and like some of like the footage that they'd filmed for that movie. Yeah. I just found myself so over- overwhelmed at like this guy just like openly pouring his heart out over I absolutely ruined the best thing that happened to me, <laughs> and he did it. He did it with HBO's money as well. Like that was the thing that caught <laughs> me. Like he made this weird workplace comedy that also has the most broken-hearted feeling to it that I'd seen. I hadn't seen like that before. Like something that broken-hearted. You know. You know. Wow. I, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was. It was. It was quite. It was quite something yeah that makes me really want to watch it I, I, I'm fascinated by the concept of it which is taking a, a fairly well regarded art house film from the late 90s and then turning it into a, a contemporary um, TV series I, I don't know how interesting mm. the relationship between the two works is but as a concept like that that, that interests me and I like I do like the film although probably not as much as you enough to to watch the series on that basis so, so to yeah to learn that it's got like a a self-introspective or self-reflexive element Very, like yeah. that which because that's what that every time i look at his wikipedia and i see married to maggie 98 to 2001 i just think god they must have been the best three years of your life but my god <laughs> did you fuck up somewhere <laughs> yeah 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 well they did somewhere another film that. together which i've they did another film together that i've not seen called um is it called close where she plays like a musician okay. no clean it's called clean where she plays like a musician who's like, um, she's gone to prison, I, I believe. Yeah, I think it was like, it was, it was a bit of a weird run that he went on because he did, he did, um, I think he did Demon Lover just before it. Mm. If I was going to say, D- Demon Lover is probably around the time they were divorcing, I imagine, right? Or, or... Uh, yeah, he did Demon uh, Lover and then he did Clean. Or... Yeah. yeah. They did so, clean, so and they, I think they might have divorced after clean. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, the Irma Vep is clearly like such a love letter to her. Hearing her do a British accent in that as well is wow. <laughs> like hand yeah, language. yeah. But um, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She, I mean, she's fantastic. he's always go on. No, sorry, go on. No, you go on. You go on. No, I was just going to say I was going to go back to comrade. So I'd, I'd you can finish your point yes. about um, Olivia. Oh, um, he's always sort of like, I don't know, he's, I always feel like certain filmmakers get like a reputation for like, how they portray and film women, like the Lynch thing came up recently when there there was Mm -hmm. that tweet that went round of like, which one's the most attractive in Twin Peaks, and it's like, (laughs) alright, lads, like, let's, let's keep it somewhat zipped in, do you know what I mean, like, we don't need to, (laughs) you know, reveal everything about ourselves, but like... He's. I think he's always towed that line of like you know, slightly pervy observations or like lusting for these women in his films, and then like throwing it back in your face, 
Like he he does that quite a lot. Like you see it in like Boarding Gate as well with mm. uh, Asia Argento, and just the sort of like how she's portrayed in that movie. Um, you know, it could be done in another way where you're like really like lusting after her, but she's kind of got like such a feral, animalistic quality to her in that movie that it's always kind of puts right. you out of remove. So I always think yeah. Assess is like really good at that. I mean, it is very much you know having your cake and eating it too. It's it's, it's like. It is, you know, it's a yeah. bit, um, it's a bit like, all right, Olivia, I know how you're getting around this, but, and I respect it, but yeah, you know, I know like, what you're doing. like you say, there's Lynch is a good example of that as well. I think we talked about it when that that tweet um, came out the other day, where <laughs> there's an there's an element of subversion, of course, because yes. uh, I guess I can talk more strongly about Lynch, but in terms of for that, you've got films. Uh, and a franchise that is like about really dark kind of sexual themes and mm. so so the idea of just talking about like how good looking and attractive all the women are in it seems a little bit like distasteful in a way but then at the same yeah. time it's clear that those directors are uh, and Lynch in in this in this case is only casting you know women that he finds like deeply attractive so he can you know, work with them, and yes, they their their looks kind of serve a a wider thematic point. I think, um, even though, like you said, there's a subversion of it w- within those two filmmakers' kind of works. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, I don't find it uncomfortable. I think if I don't know if I'm giving too much away here in the way that these horny Twitter accounts do, but I think if I was a film director of note, you know, I'd I'd probably want to work with. Um, some of the most like, attractive <laughs> actresses of all time, like you know, it'd be a lie to suggest otherwise. So good for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always the thing that ties into that is that that kind of draws people in, and it has historically mm. done that. Like when you when you see these sort of actors and actresses of of like the 30s and 40s, like they That's all look exactly a certain it. way. I mean, it's just yeah. that like you had a you had a period in like the 70s where like slightly weirder looking dudes could like become movie stars like gene hackman do you know what i mean yeah. or, like even nick nicholson came up in debate the other day um between me and my partner where i'm just like it was a picture of him in cuckoo's nest and i'm like man that is a handsome man and she's just like he's a weird looking dude what you want about <laughs> and i realized like well i'm losing my hair so i have to think that he's an, an attractive guy because it's like that's what i have to aspire to yeah it's like whenever i see a Whenever I see a picture of David Berman, I'm like, yeah, that's a genius guy who lost his hair. Like, I've got to, I've got to be, I've got to cling on to the, to my brothers, you know. Um, but yeah, okay. I think. I think anyway, we're, we're, the, we're, we are, we are, we are. Yeah, we can, we can, we can get off this topic if you like. But, no, no, no. Talk about the charisma thing first. That, that oh, uh, yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, I think there's that, um, that thing. But you, you had that back in the day as well, like Humphrey Bogart, who's in a lot of those. Um, films of that era like not kind of traditionally attractive but the the you know putting him against Bacall in loads of those uh, early like noir films yeah. and stuff like uh, that uh, John Huston made as well with him um, the Maltese like the Falcon African Queen Maltese Falcon and Af- African Queen and things like that yeah it just I think the charisma tended to override the the looks and maybe that they, those mm. actors were kind of outliers, but yeah, there's definitely examples of that too. I think like someone like Cagney as well back in the day, like he wasn't much of a looker, yeah. like, what a performer, you know. And so the you can imagine like exactly, yeah, just like really intense and um, so fucking good at just the craft of acting that you're just taking in yeah. by it. So 
Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. Sorry, just before you mentioned what you were going to say. Um, that, what's that uh, Twitter account that's kind of gone viral for just posting like horny screenshots? <laughs> I was going to mention that. <laughs> but I can't remember the fucking name. Synthetic. Yeah, that's synthetic. Yeah, <laughs> which is, by the so way, I mu- I muted that account because of for obvious reasons, but I, I think also because the algorithm just like designates that you have to see all this person's content, even if you don't follow them, and that's like no. inherently annoying. But <laughs> yes, so, yeah. No, know, I, what were you going to mention? I've become a lot more. I've become a lot more liberal with the with the block and the musing and whatnot. No, the mm. the thing I was going to bring up was the. I, I'm sure you've seen it. Is the interview with Robert Mitchum on the Dick Cavett show, where he uh, talks yeah, about. That. I love that. It's so good. I've watched that maybe about fifty times. I just love yeah, that interview yeah. so much. That is sick. Shout but out Dick Cavett like, ex- for, for doing the best <laughs> interviews ever. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, Jean Luc Godard and Martin Scorsese and De Palma and all that. And like, they're not even the talking Woody about Allen their own films. Great as well. Yeah, incredible. I know. Oh yeah, the, the De Palma Scorsese one together. That was so good. The great one with the Mitchum one, where I, I've got it. I won't be able to get it right, but Mitchum was there and he had made a film. I think it was like in the forties, and he was like a. He was just like um a contracted studio player and he was at a screening for this film and there was a woman and her friend sat behind him and his wife and he t- they didn't realise he was there and he came up on screen and this woman said behind him was like that man's got immoral eyes or it was something like that he's got like an immoral yeah. look to him and it's just like <laughs> yeah he really does like he's got like an intensity to him again you would probably say that there were more handsome men of that era mm. but there's there's this twang to someone like Mitchum Whereas, you know, Maggie Chung, I guess, is just like this perfect, you know, feature. Do you know what I mean? Like, her face is just so perfectly, like, yeah. arranged. I mean, she you, I mean, she used to be a model, so it's not, like, surprising that, you know, a model was attractive. Like, come on, let's, let's she, not... She, she, she also, it's not, not, it goes beyond the aesthetics as well for me with her, because she just radiates such a warmth. Um, yeah. And it's that that kind of draws you in along with this kind of perfect beauty, which I think uh, War Kong Wai uses really well in... Um, uh, oh, in the Mood um, for Love. In the Mood for Love, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Right? Like, did, I, did I just mess up his name? Wong Kar Wai. Wong yeah, Kar Wai. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, he, re- he really plays on that as well because she's like kind of like mute in that film for ages, isn't it? It's just like all these really long yeah. like shots of her. Um, just walking. Yeah, but it, that's interesting, actually. It kind of plays off her warmth, because I think in Irma Vep, and certainly in this, which we'll go on to talk about, she radiates a warmth. But in that film, she's very cold and distant. So you're only seeing her kind of like beauty in the way that he kind of frames her and, and shoots her is quite interesting um, with a kind of very highly stylized attachment that has made that film like probably one of the most beloved of of its time uh and again yeah she's great in it i mean she she's not only does she radiate warmth and is very beautiful but she's an incredibly talented actress like she can do so much with so little um and i and i i was reading about uh comrades before um and during watching it uh for this pod and they were saying that my one of my all-time favorite people ever Faye wong was actually originally considered for this Who's also oh really? In, uh, yeah, exactly. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like that. I was like, "I mean, we'll get onto it about how much I love this film and surely how much you love it as well." But I was trying to also imagine mm. the film with her in the lead role, 
apparently it was it was to do with the fact that um the guy the the main actor in comrades i can't remember his name um i don't know if you've got it to hand mm. uh was i'll have it was, in a uh, was well known as like a some kind of pop idol in uh leon lie yeah leon lie that's right yeah he was known as kind of like a some kind of pop star in um in hong kong or china so and she was well known as a character actress so they thought there was a lot of uh, audience reception in the east that they were a weird pairing and it didn't really make sense so um peter chan i think the director said like yeah let's pair pair it up with pair him up with fei wong that would make sense and she turned the movie mm. down um so we ended up with maggie instead but oh my god thank god we did because it, it's yes. my favorite performance by her by a mile it's absolutely like intoxicating yeah i absolutely uh, i'm smitten with this film i don't know how you feel oh wow Uh, i mean i loved it i was so like taken aback by this movie which has this sort of like light breezy quality to it you know and it's almost like it's got the kind of like a bit of like a tossed off sort of feel to it at points where you know it's got it goes down these obvious at first maybe obvious routes of like this guy who's smitten with this woman who's also from the mainland China who's gone to Hong Kong for work and is trying to work their way up and she's just like well I'm focusing on the work and the business side of things um I mean should I read just the synopsis quickly so we can mm. get past that and go Good into show. it yeah, so yeah the, let- the letterbox synopsis here says Jun arrives in Hong Kong from mainland China hoping to be able to earn enough money to marry his girlfriend back home he meets the streetwise Kiao I believe say say her name mm-hmm. I'm not great with the Chinese pronunciations and they become friends uh, as friendship turns into love problems develop and although they seem meant for each other they somehow keep missing out I mean obviously it's um it it's evokes certain like missed love opportunities that you see in films <laughs> many times over, particularly yeah. like something like Ch- Chunking Express. Chunking being Express, the obvious, yeah. Um, it's got all the trappings of like a typical like melodrama as well, hasn't it? Like when you, of course, I think it, it, and it kind of feels like that for for the beginning of it. And maybe we can go on to talk about how it maybe transcends those um, mm. those initial impressions, but. Um, yeah, it's it's very much a kind of your standard fare, almost like I know there's mm. not much overt comedy in it, but the lightheartedness of it feel it feels like quite a a light rom com in the in the Hong Kong style. Maybe someone like uh, Romancing in the Thin Air or something like Johnny Two would put out, you know. Yeah, um, but, but but God, I don't know how you feel about this job. But by the end, I was just like a wreck. Like this really, yeah, really like took it to places for me, which you know. I was I was surprised I, I love, about really. I was surprised at how much I, I was affected by this movie emotion. Yeah, I mean, I love films where you know you don't see, you don't officially see the people get together, but you see them having to go through the ringer of their own lives before they can finally intersect and come back together. Yeah, me too. And, you know, there, there's 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 an incredible bit because the first like hour, forty five minutes is uh, the Leon like out and Maggie Chung working in Hong Kong whilst his partner is back in the mainland, China he's working his way up in Hong Kong and trying to get any sort of money together and him and Maggie Chung become friends he meets her at, uh, it's McDonald's isn't it where they first meet and, <laughs> Yeah, yeah Great scene. Is, it's brilliant yeah it's brilliant and then she takes him to this English school where she gets some commission if she takes people there for English lessons and that's where you see the incredible Christopher Doyle performance, <laughs> the great so cinematographer good. as 
Oh my god! I mean, you know, as someone who used to work in teaching English abroad, yeah, yeah. I met that guy. Like, <laughs> I met that guy many times over, and he was a dickhead. Like, I did not enjoy being with that person at all. Oh, but he's um, so sweet in this. Like, just seeing him, knowing what he's done, like, ex- like as a as a kind of cinematographer, and then mm. the fact that he's like in this relationship with like the most attractive Thai prostitute ever. <laughs> uh, it's just so, all of it's so charming yeah. to me. That sounds like it shouldn't work at all. And it should be a bit yeah. know, seedy or, or a bit off, but oh, cheap? like, uh, yeah, a bit cheap. I don't know. But his friendship with, um, with the, with the lead character in this as well is so, so endearing. I love the way that they yeah. speak English to one another, despite the fact that, you know, he's, obviously um out there as an expat like english guy and he's and mm. the main characters obviously only learnt a few phrases in english like it's all it's all just very fucking wholesome isn't it <laughs> yeah well that that is the thing about it is that it does have an, a, a very wholesome feel to it but uh, this underlying thing is this sort of um bleeding in of capitalism that comes through the movie like that's the, that was like the big thing i take from this is like the tokens and all the feelings that we project onto materialistic tokens like there's the great bit in the movie where the leon lai character his girlfriend's finally come over to hong kong it's like a couple years later and their friend's still with the maggie chung character and they're driving around and she's just like oh he never takes me to mcdonald's i always want to go there and so like he used to write to me on the back of mcdonald's wrappers and like you know what is a you know essentially a junk item becomes something with a lot of like emotional resonance for a person and then for the maggie chung character she's like oh god if i have to see another one of those rappers again i'll probably (laughs) throw up from having working there at mcdonald's for so long so yeah, the girlfriend's Again, like it, in the cars and she's scoffing those chips and she's like, this is delicious. And I'm like, you eat yeah. like beautiful Asian cuisine and you're like <laughs> loving these shitty know. plastic chips. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I know. It reminds me of like when they opened up Starbucks in Italy and like all the kids were like desperate to go to Starbucks. And like all the adults are like, what are you talking about? That, that's crap. Like, why yeah. would you want to drink that? Whatever else, but it's just like they want the Starbucks cup. And she wants the McDonald's wrapper. She wants to go Great there comparison. and yeah, I agree. Finally, yeah, finally have that physical completion. Like it's almost like she's finished, like completed the circle, and she's got like a real link to them now. Because mm. um, they're, they're all the characters well. are quite ashamed, aren't they, throughout the film of their kind of. Uh, although the main character is quite naive to it um, in a very sweet way, and, and the film kind of has a few comedic riffs of that. Every every character, including Maggie, tends to be a little bit like. Uh, ashamed of the, their origin of being from from mainland mm. China because at the time where it's set in the eighties, I believe um, China's not yet had its economic boom. Hong Kong is the no. place to go, um, and they're all pursuing that kind of that economic dream mm. uh, in Hong Kong. And the the film is is quite open, isn't it? In, in a lot of its dialogue about saying. Like, you know, basically hide your identity as a mainlander, you know, assimilate yeah. now as someone who, who lives in Hong Kong because that's the only way you're going to get by. And the, and the immigrants that have gone to Hong Kong um, and who have been there for a while at the time the film begins, you're told are very uh, dismissive, aren't they, towards people who... Uh, they call them mainlanders, mm. don't they? Like, they're like... So the, the whole idea is you come over... And you learn Cantonese, you stop talking Mandarin, 
and you mm. just basically forget your roots because you know this is this is where you belong now and you don't want to out yourself yeah. as some kind of like countryfied rube by you know speaking mandarin or <laughs> you know giving away the fact that you're from mainland china uh, which is yeah, yeah. Uh, that that comes up a lot in the film and i, I do think it's it's quite a, an interesting like dynamic within it as well yeah what did you make of like the initial romance of it all because you know there was there's been a couple glib letterboxed reviews where it's just like how could you turn down maggie chung for your mainland girlfriend you know, <laughs> who is you know whatever it's just like how could how could you and it's just like kind of missing the point here of this guy like he's and i know that you know it's fine to be glib about that sort of thing it's, it's just a joke and all that but of course there is this there is this thing of like he has created a link to this person that he has to honor you know, he's there is this thing of like I've got to honor these ideals that I've set out. You know, and the moments where they they fall away from those, that's when their life kind of falls apart. Like when the Maggie Chung character, you know, when she loses that money on that idea of doing the, um, when she doesn't go back for the New Year's and she stays in Hong Kong to try and make some money by selling those records for the um, mm. the artist whose name I've just totally forgotten. Uh, uh, what's Teresa Tang. Teresa Tang, yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, and it's again, it's this another item that they have a link to, and but in, this time it's actually a person as opposed to like you know Mickey Mouse, for example, for Maggie Chung, like yeah. that becomes Love that. her 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 linking symbol. Like they all get these sort of like cultural symbols that they link to. There's a really yeah. good review actually on Letterbox someone wrote called by uh, Matt Stroll, um, where they talk about like death, the celebrity death of Teresa mm. Tang. Yeah. And how just for like a moment everyone like collectively mourns this celebrity and it sort of like comes over you. Like it's you know where it says here in this review I'm talking about those rare cases when something is really woven through your life and the news knocks you over. For me David Bowie was, was David like that, Bowie. that moment. Yeah, I thought he'd mentioned yeah, that. Where, yeah, good show. Yeah. And that, like, that was good. That was really poignant as well because I think in the film itself, um, they're they're both in New York when they find out, isn't it? Because it's when they meet again um, in the crescendo of the movie. Yeah, uh, and that that is so poignant in the way that it's that death is depicted when they're in New York because there's that that's their connective tissue to home. That's their connection to home, and it's like how you know heartbroken they are the way they're looking at it through the screens. Uh, hearing it on the radio wherever they are you know it, within their mm. own micro communities but within New York City and it adds that poignancy that they're hearing this news around this artist that they you know both gravitate towards and represent something within the film but also for the characters themselves and they're hearing it so far away from home I think that adds so much to mm. it and with Bowie as well if that review invokes that like being in London for that kind of added something to it in a way as well because I'm not mm. a native Londoner but being from the place where Bowie was just added something to it, like not even far from Brixton, living in Herne Hill at the time, I think. Right. Um, and you're just like, so that was like, it, he's almost become like an adopted symbol of London for someone who's moved into London, whereas she's like right. a symbol that they've got truly in China, and then they're hearing about it in New York. I, I quite like the way that the film portrayed it in that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, also the idea as well that they're seeing that in a shop window where like they're selling these TVs to you so again it's another commercial yeah. entity like it's another materialistic entity that is like drawing them in where like it may be in the future that something they reminisce on is remember those TVs 
like when we when we link together through the television through this no, like, like shop window yeah so again it's it's always linking back to this sort of materialistic um connections that we make um yeah i i was reading on letterbox so, someone had mentioned it's like an eminent preeminent melodrama which i totally would go along with i mean i'm a sucker for melodramas and this really knocked the stuffing out of me i was in bits by the end <laughs> of it uh and really glad to be as well because like i've i do, it's not often anymore i feel like frequently less and less like uh, movies are emotionally connecting with me in the way that they did you know maybe when i was a bit younger but so when a movie comes along and really fucking like you know turns me into a a crying mess like this one did i'm i'm, I'm you know i really cherish it then um so i was glad mm. for that um, I know what you mean like that sort of emptying that you get from like seeing a movie that just crushes you is just yeah. it's nothing like it I think honestly the last Pure one that catharsis. really did that to me yeah the last one that did that for me was like maybe Close Up the Kiristami movie oh, oh no hold on wow. Killers of the Flower Moon Killers of the Flower yeah, Moon yeah. then probably Close Up sorry I take that back so those two um, but you know yeah, those are quite good, like good grand choices. grand statements in a way whereas this is you know as we say a bit more of like a breezy Mm. comedic sort of movie it's, it's not like a they're not making a huge statement here or at least not in an obvious sort of uh, dramatic sense because they do cover no. it with this, this this comedic sort of quality to it but you know it does have that handover hanging in the background as most of these Hong Kong movies did uh, at this time um, yeah. I think also it, do, it does well the um, star-crossed lovers thing as well because like you find out at the end that they were together the whole time, like when they arrived, yeah. they were together. But they just one went that way, one went the other, and then eventually they sort of reconvened. Yeah, um, definitely. There's all these it, little details yeah. in that in that that the film sometimes almost like exaggerates because it's a melodrama. Um, mm. So like, yeah, it, it's it's pretty fucking on the surface trite that they they were always they were always so drawn to each other. The fact that they saw each other in New York, how implausible that is. But naturally, the yeah. film is so effective; it doesn't matter. You can suspend your disbelief throughout. Um, but I, mm. I, I think back to little moments in it, like um, you know when um, he goes, he, he's been set up by the guy who moved over to New York first, who was his kind of like chef mentor, um, and yeah. he puts him on that blind date <laughs> with that girl. Oh. And the way that Peter Chan's camera just like lingers on her, you can see like her hope and thinking, "Oh yeah, like I've been set up on this." nice date and he's like yeah. no like I'm in love with Maggie so I'm not going to go on this date <laughs> and the camera just lingers on her uh, rejection for ages and I don't know there's just know. so many little moments like that of like realness and tenderness in the film that enrich it and elevate it beyond its kind of like genre trappings and like I said some of the implausibility of the plot as well um, I was really surprised to see that a critic that you and I both have an enormous amount of respect for uh, Nick Newman had uh, said it was his favourite film of all time or at least it's top of his sight and sound ballot um, mm. that he's kind of ranked on Letterboxd because when I started the film I was like oh no like, this is great like the dissolves like some of the soft focus shots like Brilliant. Maggie like it's great you know it's fantastic How, how's it <laughs> like I loved it I loved it from minute one um, yeah. but I didn't think it had the substance or I didn't think it was going to present the substance or like of a of an all time great, but God, like I said, by the mm. end, like I just it, the cumulative effect of it. I think which you mentioned when we were talking about it the other day um, was yeah. just really profound, and it really hits the mark in a way that 
a lot of these kind of films don't either through contrivances in the plot or you know just feeling a little bit fleeting or frivolous but there's something mm. quite magical about this and I was kind of hoping you would do the analysis part of this because I'm so fresh off it and I was like so emotional like literally only a few hours ago having seen it I was like yeah Joe can do the analysis he could explain it all I'll just sit there and say <laughs> wow what a film <laughs> yeah 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 but no, well, I, 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 go on there's a great bit actually when you were talking there that that made me reevaluate it in that moment is the bit where Again, you could look at the moments and be like, this is trite, is the bit where he's going to break up with his wife and and she's going to break up with her husband, the gangster. Mm. Um, who, who There's a great bit where he goes back for another massage because obviously she's fallen on a hard time, she's doing massages, and he's got a Mickey Mouse tattoo for her. <laughs> and she's just like, this guy is willing to cover his body in something for me and he doesn't even really know me. And she feels this sort of maybe attraction or like connection to this guy. Anyway, their marriages are dissolving and she's just like, right, we're going to separate with our partners and me and you are going to be together. And, like, he's been taken away by the his boss and he's going to go to Taiwan. And um, he's, he's going to be taken away on this boat and she gets taken to go say goodbye to him. And as she's, she's like, leaves the main character on the, sh- on the dock, he's got an umbrella and it's raining. Yeah, it's Casablanca. Yeah, and she goes onto the boat and she's like, I'll be back, wait for me and she goes to the boat and finds her husband and her husband's just like, what are you doing here? Just get out of here, you find someone else and then she's just like, can we just have one more hug and then they hug and then they hold it and then they never let go and there's this thing of she didn't understand why he was still so in love and connected to his wife and it's because he made a promise to her right and she then was just like I, I can leave this guy and then when she hugged him she was just like I made a promise with this guy and I made this connection with this guy and I can't let him go now during this tough time so I'm going to have to just stay with him that's right yeah and just just leaves and just leaves the 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 main character who I, I'm really bad with character names uh, the Leon yeah. Lai character yeah. Um, just to go back to his wife and then he just feels like he, to be truthful and to be honest to her he has to tell her what happened they separate obviously and end up in New York you know she's still with her husband initially there's that great bit you know when um, he gets he gets murdered on the side of the road on the side of the street by uh, by some kids I've got to say that was a, a very uh, un-PC um, <laughs> depiction of uh, <laughs> black teenagers in New York uh, I was wondering no, if no, that never really... <laughs> it was so wrong wasn't it <laughs> Yeah, I was a bit like, whoa, he went all in on this one, didn't he? Um, yeah. Turn that up to 11. Um, no, I, I, was, I, I, don't, I don't expect, like, politically correct depictions in a Hong Kong movie from the 80s from or the 90s. 90s. Like, yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a bit, and then the crowd has obviously gathered around to the body, and she's gone to get the laundry, and she's just walking around, and there's a crowd, and it's kind of like, well, where's my husband gone? And this could be, like, again, another trite moment, but it's done with such delicacy like it's so delicately done and then when she does see the body like she goes to the crowd she doesn't yeah. scream or anything it just cuts to like her having to be taken away and yeah. she's going to get deported and eventually she, you know, she breaks away after she sees the, the main character again and there's that lovely bit where she's running through the streets trying to find him and she's like he's gone this way and then he just cycles behind her and goes off and 
You again, oh, if you ended the if you ended the movie at that point, that was an ending of the movie. If you ended the movie there, I would have been fine with it, and I would have wept. Oh, I don't know. Instead, if they'd, if, they, if they'd have ended the movie there, I would have like gone to Peter Chan and be like, "If you don't make a sequel, like I'm." <laughs> well, he does make the sequel. He does make the sequel straight afterwards. It's only a ten minute little sequel at the end, where eventually <laughs> yeah. they do end up together. Uh, Thank and God, it's for just that. really, yeah. yeah, it's really again. You could have done that ending where it's just like, nah, sometimes you're just not meant to be with a person. And well, it said, like, to actually, me would have all... gone against, yeah, that would have gone against the whole kind of ethos yes. and spirit of the movie, wouldn't it? Like, you, you, you know, like, if you've seen enough movies that it's not going to end there because of what's come before. I agree with you. That yeah. would have been bold and, like, oh my God, like, maybe would have maybe, you know, obsessed about the film and think about it for years, but I would have been so, like, emotionally betrayed had it ended when they, you know, hadn't found each other in New York. <sighs> And I mean, the, the the beauty of the actual ending itself, I mean, you were about to go on to talk about it, so I, I guess I'll let you say your point, but my only point was going to no, be no, go. that it's just, it's it's nice that it is just them bonding over the death of uh, Teresa Tang and looking at each other and smiling. It's not overdone, it's not overstated. Even the flashback to the beginning of the movie where, you know, it, it, it kind of rounds it off by saying, yeah, fate always was destined to bring these two characters together because um, she was the one who uh, woke him up accidentally on the train when he first arrived in uh, Kowloon mm. um, that, that that to me was really a perfect ending in a way that didn't descend or didn't denigrate into like saccharine or you know I think no. that's a really hard thing to pull off to, to do that and not have it be like kind of uh, overly sentimental and I just think that film, the, the film, earns that ending so brilliantly, so it, it yeah. becomes a perfect ending for the movie. Yeah, uh, my my last thing I'm going to say is five stars, like no question in my mind, five star movie. And also, I'm going to say it now, now, right now. Let's make Hong Kong films great again. Britain, take back <laughs> Hong Kong. All right, enough of this China nonsense. We had a good thing going, yeah. yeah. We had a good thing going. That that seventies, eighties, nineties. I want to move to Kowloon now and you know meet <laughs> my wife who looks like Maggie. And I was like, oh no, it's all fucked now. Like, I can't. Do yeah. That. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's that's just my closing thoughts on it. I think it's a five star masterpiece. Watch it with someone you love. Watch it with someone you hate. Like, watch it by yourself if it comes down to it. Like, it's just, uh, I just think it's such a beautiful film and yeah, tender and just uh, for me, it's up there with something like in the mood for love. You know, in terms of oh, like yeah. romance. Do you know what's a great Hong Kong Absolutely. romance movie that you, you have to watch? Is a film called Rouge. Have you ever seen Rouge? No, I've not heard of Rouge. Who's that by? It's by the guy who did Center Stage with Maggie Chung. I forgot his Stanley Kwan. Oh, yeah. Stanley Kwan. Yeah, I've he did a movie a called. Times. I've not seen any of his movies though. Stanley Kwan. He did a movie called Rouge. He also did a movie with Maggie Chung called Full Moon in New York, which I really want to see. Apparently, Abel Ferrara helped in the making of that. Oh uh, shit! From yeah, of just like helping them get the locations. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is I a Maggie a... Chung podcast now, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the that's the, that's the another reason why I want to watch that as well. Is because like I actually do think Maggie Chung is up there in terms of like I'm going to go modern age actors. So like yeah, nineteen seventies onwards. Ratio. Yeah, that was a, yeah. that was an incredible tweet because I was like, 
I'm still, even though, like I said, I was invoking the horny guy on Twitter before because I was like, even though I find that a little bit uh, gauche or whatever, a bit weird. Yeah. But like, um, the only thing I do that is adjacent to him is follow like a, a Maggie Chung like updates Twitter account. Because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I used to I feel like it's account. totally fine if like if it's Maggie, like uh, for some reason, yeah, yeah. like she's just acceptable in a way that you know if you make it your whole online persona, it's not. So yeah, I'll watch fucking anything mm. in it, with her in it for sure. But yeah, what was it? Yeah, New York? Well, was, what was it called again, Joe? New York. Uh, I forgot. Uh, what's it called? <laughs> you just mentioned Mo- Moonlight over. That's full right, moon yeah. in New York. Full full moon in New York. Full, I think full I think moon the only. In New York, yeah, yeah I'm, maybe we could make an episode out of that. But um, anyway, I highly recommend Rouge just as like a great Hong Kong romance, like really Sorry, yeah. beautiful, tragic film, like just. Really great movie. Highly recommend that if people are going to uh, seek out another Hong Kong sort of romance. But yeah, just like I would classify like actors for like particularly post seventies. Mm. I think Maggie Chung's up there because like the pre seventies, all that when you had the studio system where you could crank out a lot more movies, the craft was different. Maggie Chung, man, like in the mood for love, twenty forty six, the police story films, Irma Vep, Comrades, almost a love story. As tears yeah, it's go an by, insane days of being wild. Yeah. The heroic trio, you know, it, it's a pretty incredible collection of movies that she's done, and it's just, you know, I hope she's. I just, I hope she's enjoying retirement. You know, have you I hope have she's you um, like, been on her Wikipedia page and seen the post movie part? Have you read that? No. No. Okay, so so she retired, I think, from films in twenty. Uh, sorry, twenty uh, two thousand four. Um, officially, after I was guess twenty forty six. Twenty forty six might have been her last picture, and then yeah. <laughs> this this bit got me. Oh, she, well, although apparently she has a deleted scene in Inglorious Bastards, which I need to see if that exists in any no somewhere it's it's on her wikipedia yeah it says deleted scene in inglorious bastards so i, I don't know i, I don't believe know how that's, that's an error that, it's got to be some surely right like that's an why, error. yeah i don't know that's a strange that's one. what um, that is that was that was a side plot that he had written of a asian spy who went over oh, during okay. inglorious but and it was it was a completely different side story and he wanted maggie chung and he never shot anything for that and she never don't okay, believe so. Uh, that is literally in her filmography on Wikipedia, so that is a, a huge error. It's out of order, uh, yeah. It, well, yeah, it made me think, God damn, I need to fucking seek that out. And I'm sure I would have seen it already mm. had it been, you know, a real thing and mm. never shot. Um, but no, what I was going to say, the her because apparently she's now very reclusive and she doesn't do many, um, many kind of public appearances, which is obviously her prerogative. Um it says that her last like public appearance was in 2021, I think, and she did a DJ yeah. set for the opening of a Gucci yeah. store in like Beijing or something. I'm like, fuck me! If there's a YouTube video I need to seek out, it's that. Have you not seen it? Have you no, not seen wait, that is footage? It, is it online? Because I only yeah. read about it before the pod, so I was like, I'm going to find that later. But it is actually uh, available to see. I'll try and find it for you. I'll, I'll send it oh, to you. But yeah, I, I remember I watched it and I and I was almost like tearing up. Fuck, so that's like, good. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. It was. It's not even that it's that good. It's just that, like, you know. No, I'm not it's, saying it's like, weird because she, she like, has to be great in terms of her technical abilities as a DJ. She's scratching, which like. could be <laughs> which could be terrible. Like, yeah, it's all just Teresa yeah. fucking music and 
Fei Wong. Yeah. Uh, but no, just seeing her like do something like now would be quite yeah by it, by virtue of being her in public again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it really yeah. I don't know. It it was it was an odd sensation to to see her because like one of the great actors who just decided they didn't want to be in public anymore. Mm. Kind of like again like Nicholson. You know, who decided I've had enough. I can just chill out. I mean, there was a great story about Nicholson the other the other week where someone was like, "Jack, you got to consider doing this movie." And you read the script, and he's like, "Yeah, it's a good script." And then he said, "Like, you know, the other day I sat under a tree and I read a book, and then I ate a peach, and I nodded, and I was like, "Yeah, that was a good day." And he said, "Like, yeah, let him enjoy those days. Like, he doesn't need to do anything else. Like, he doesn't have Absolutely. to do anything more." Uh, give me your rating quickly before we move on. Uh, yeah, per- perfect five for me. Um, same as you. I I don't want to get too overly emotional about it in the way that I was quite embarrassingly over overly emotional when I was watching the thing. But um, yeah, I just I just loved the way it, it kind of transitioned from something where I thought, oh, this is you know light and breezy and you know quietly formally you know handsome mm. um, to the end being like oh my god this this is going to be one of my you know all time favorites you know i'm going to revisit this over and over again and yeah, uh, restored my faith in in love and cinema in a way that i was not expecting <laughs> so yeah no. it was uh, it was a profound experience for me and yeah p- perfect rating i i i can't i can't believe a film that began in such a kind of low key way ended up having such a profound impact on me by the end but yeah this one did so Agreed. huge recommend it to all of our listeners who've who've not yet tried it yeah um fantastic listeners i've got some in here uh, to say to you, you can email us at 10tbhardrivepod at gmail.com and also listeners, I'm going to say this thank you, thank you for all the lovely comments I've received thank you for the ratings as well like, uh, we got a perfect five stars on Spotify uh, so I've got to say, commend you a lot for that, thank you so much um, once we hit 100 likes on Spotify, all five stars, we will start beefing with another podcast of your choice <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, film spotting, we're coming for you. Yeah, important <laughs> cinema club, watch out. Yeah, we're coming for you lot. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. I only really got Keep involved in for the that. pod to, to get to that stage. So make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't get you don't get people, you don't get journalists or writers slating each other in public in the same way anymore. So it has to come down to the podcasters. So, no, exactly, and we're bringing know. it back in a big way. Yeah, sure. Will Sloan, I'm coming for you. Like this, uh, <laughs> although, by the way, I will say I did buy his his Three Stooges um, zine, and it is very good. So, uh, oh, fantastic! Can't really beef yeah. with him with the man too hard. Now, <laughs> I've digressed, and now it's time to dive back in to the murky waters of the rave scene. That's right, Rave Macbeth, two thousand and one, directed by Klaus Knossel. So, I had. I'd bookmarked this for a while I'd, I'd sort of like saved it for about a year or so I'm like I've got to find a right time to watch this and what better time than after watching Comrades Almost a Love Story <laughs> to watch Rave Macbeth um, a loose adaptation of the Shakespeare film put into the rave scene now when I started watching this I was just like oh this is definitely like some European whatever film and then everyone's American in it I was just like mm. wait is this American and then when the credits rolled and all the names were German, I'm like, yeah, they definitely shot this in Europe. Like, this is definitely some guy got some money f- to do it in a warehouse. And yeah, he did this adaptation of Macbeth, but set it in the rave scene. Um, let's start with this. Was this a 
good adaptation of Macbeth. <laughs> good is a loose term there. Oh, sorry. Something You're right. Just dropped. Um, was it a good adaptation of Macbeth? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid You're, question to ask <laughs> uh, no I love it I love it it's really stumped me um, and I, lo- I loved your letterboxed um, capsule as well straight off the back of seeing it which said in its own way a perfect adaptation which you know I'm desperate for you to unpack <laughs> for the listeners and for me um, I, I don't think I can <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just it just felt like the right thing to say at the time yeah um, yeah yeah no, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, I'll give a bit of context then just to kind of deflect and get around the answer for as long as possible before I actually have to confront it. Um, I'd seen this movie talked about uh, on Twitter, probably similar to you, like uh, an account that we both like and follow. Um, Claire Penis talks about it quite a lot. <laughs> uh, Claire Penis? No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's, 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 I think it's Claire Penny. Like that's how oh, she. Oh bullshit! That, that's she's doing a Michael Michael Ball's penis like Cumtown reference. Uh, it's got <laughs> it's got to be a pun, <laughs> like working as a no a kind of auteurist <laughs> joke, but also a crappy dick joke as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, we'll go for it. I love saying that now, Claire Penny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Claire, as we'll refer to her from now on until we've got confirmation either way. Um, A.K.A. Hesse. Yeah, Hesse, yeah, who really, really cool. Yeah, um, yeah she's awesome. One of the funniest people on Twitter. Um, she definitely had a phase of this movie, and it reminded me when I was seeing her tweets of it, of like, God, that would have been a movie like when I was in my kind of... Um, well, certainly when I was going out clubbing, obviously a bit younger, also a bit of a kind of um, iconoclastic, not my, not not kind of like self-defined as, but that's what I was going for, um, like contrarian film critic. Like this would have been my fucking catnip. Like I would have absolutely like lapped this up. Like the idea of yeah. Shakespeare, who's my favourite artist of all time across any medium like who I'm oh wow d- dedicated most of my life to in terms of my li- like obsession with reading all the works of or getting to, getting to grips with all the texts of and and then kind of um yeah just absorbing um the idea that there would be something as kind of heretical and uh blasphemous as a rave version of that would have just been like oh it would have been my shit so much in the way that I think it Thankfully, making this pod a little bit interesting, it was for you, and it certainly was for Claire. And that, so that's mm. how I kind of came came to know it. Uh, it's very obvious from a lot of the way that, from a way that a lot of people talk about it, that it's kind of a, a a piece of shit film, like in terms of how it's made and stuff. Again, another reason why I would have absolutely loved it. Yeah, um, you know, anything that kind of resembles a a rave version of like something like The Room where it's incompetence can actually be argued to be kind of deliberate. I'm not saying that's the case Mm. for The Room. I wouldn't say it was but it had kind of started I actually think the stylistic uh, analogue to this film is something like um, either the Tim and Eric (laughs) Tane videos with uh, Paul Rudd (laughs) yes or um, because that really reminds me of some of the scenes with the witches and uh, that kind of Matrix architect yeah. type of character. And something like 
there's I don't this this might be a bit of a niche reference for even some of the listeners, but there was a viral like uh, pastiche parody video of um, the Fast and Furious called Overdrift, made by One yes. Hit Wonders, the Duncan Brothers, and it really reminds me of that as well, uh, stylistically. Yes. And Dark Place by Garth Marenghi as well. The well, not but yeah, mm. that's the title of the thing. Um, yes, that, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yeah. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yeah, it really reminds me of that. So it's got it's got all of this like abject kino going on in it. And so my 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 point is, without rambling any longer, that I thought, God, this is going to be so much for me. And having like punishingly sat through the whole, I mean, it's only an hour and twenty, but my God, the last twenty minutes felt like the longest 20 minutes of my life <laughs> i really hated it man like it was so fucking like ugly on every level so yeah. if macbeth is my probably macbeth is like this isn't really interesting to anyone but macbeth is probably like my fourth favorite shakespeare play so it's, it's pretty okay. up there like given how many i've read but it's not like it's not like unimpeachable in the same way that hamlet is uh, Rave right. Hamlet might be an interesting one that some oh, German fetishist should go out and make. <laughs> Maybe I need to be the one that makes that movie, and then I'll, I'll make. I it think you it. should. Yeah, I think that's my calling. Um, so yeah, it's not unimpeachable in the sense that I'm like obsessed with Macbeth in the way that I am like Lear and Hamlet, but I do hold Macbeth in very high esteem, and it was the first Shakespeare play I read. And I've got I've got no hang-ups about like it being her- heretical, bizarre interpretation of it. I think that's probably the core strength of the movie um but what is there is just like aggressively unpleasant and aggressively ugly and apart from like fleeting moments of keynote that that stem from the fact that the rave itself despite not being a rave that i would ever want to attend even in my prime uh felt quite (laughs) authentic um i found it like deeply unpleasant like stylistically formally i didn't think any of the kind of so bad it's good stuff worked it just felt so bad it's bad kind of thing and yeah arbitrary qualifiers they might be in terms of defining things as good or bad i just i didn't derive any pleasure from it and i found a lot of it quite actively unpleasant (laughs) but i've rambled enough joe like i know you're a fan of it so (laughs) i'm way more interested to know like what you saw in this thing See, everything you just said is absolutely correct and is the reason why I liked it. Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing nothing you said that would go like, he's wrong. No, he's wrong. Yeah. He's, you're absolutely right. It is hideous to look at, but again, I, I enjoy that. It is utterly ludicrous, but again, I enjoy that. The performances, do you know what the problem is? Is that it looks like a Tim and Eric movie or Tim and Eric sketch or Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, yet the it's sincere. So it's kind of off in that regard. And actually, in a way, the acting is actually too good for what it is either it's either has to be incredible better than what it is or worse for it to elevate the film in my mind like it's just competent enough yeah that's but true do you know what, I would, I do you know what, do you know what it, yeah do you know what the problem well the thing that i liked about it the most was actually the fact that it, the film felt like it had a bit of body to it like plot plot wise it's a mess like it's com- like you're, oh, I killed! I, you see a guy get scalped in like the first couple yeah, minutes in like a weird side about? screen. <laughs> you see this guy get scalped at like this side screen, and then they get elevated to the number one drug dealer, <laughs> I guess, uh, in the club. Um, and then they have a falling out almost immediately. Like there were so many bits in this where I'm like, they've run out of materials and they're having to pack this. <laughs> 
Like there's there's that hideous dance scene in the toilet. By the way, I've got a very I've got a big issue with the politics of the toilet of that movie. I've, I've is, got a big issue with the aesthetics of the toilet as well. <laughs> talk about that. Well, the fact do you know? What, uh, but okay, we'll get to the toilet in a minute. Um, the the fact that everything was on fast forward, but kind of that makes sense because the music's on fast forward. They're on drugs, so everything is a more heightened sense. So that's fine. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the fact that it's got a bit of body to it in terms of like the amount of people. Like it yeah. felt like there was it was actually a large collective of people in the club, and it actually felt like they were in a club again. Not a rave that I would want to go to. I'm not really a psytrance sort of warehouse vibe guy. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm much more like not that basically anything yeah. but that. I um, wouldn't want to see those giant fucking costumed monstrosities. Like if I was no. up on on ecstasy at any point, like that would no. be my signal to leave. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've had a couple freakouts in the club where I've had to leave, and it's not been that. Like, if yeah. it was that, I probably I would freak, have actually yeah, killed myself out in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Did you see that letterbox review where the girl um, or the woman who reviewed it was like, uh, she was like, if if uh, referring to the scene where um, I can't remember what the play analog is actually. I think it kind of deviates a little bit here. But essentially, there's two drug. Well, you're saying it's not a faithful uh, adaptation of, of no. Unfortunately, <laughs> it has some deviations beyond the kind of the rave milieu. Um, but yeah, I think the the, the so the, the main two characters are, as you've already established, attempting to uh, rise rise through the ranks of the hierarchy of the kind of like the drug dealing game. The kingpin of the club basically gives them the, the keys to the kingdom and says, "Yeah, you guys are like my right hand men." And they're both aligned mm. with their respective women, uh, one of whom is obviously the Lady Macbeth analogue and the other one is kind of a uh, is the girlfriend of the other character who who is Banquo, I suppose, and is killed um, b- because of the machinations of Lady Macbeth. But the, the letterbox review is referring to a scene where she goes to like a chill out room and the chill out room is literally like Vuvuzela's. Um, and like fire breathers <laughs> and yeah. all this like horrible shit going on and I remember yeah. the days like going back to, into to like places like Fabric and stuff like back in the day and being like god, like, oh, the, chill god. Out room. the chill out room is a genuine chill out room like you do need to yes. fucking take five in that room if you've yeah. uh, if you've dabbled too extensively and the review yeah. basically suggests that um, because then Lady Macbeth goes on to um, commit and euthanize uh, her rival by force feeding mm. her, like you know, and making her overdose on these ecstasy pills. The, re- the review, <laughs> the review, basically says, if that was the chill out room, like I would have killed myself with those ecstasy pills because the vibes <laughs> are so bad or something. <laughs> oh, the vibes <laughs> are horrendous. Thought, yeah, the, the whole film feels like that for me. It's a horrible vibes film, isn't it? Throughout. Uh, right. See, I love those vibes. I, I, again, I think the vibes are horrible. Like everything is kind of pitched at the wrong level, but I I don't know. I like swimming in those waters sometimes. Like, yeah, you know, I don't I get. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not big on like the room. Like, I don't particularly no. like the room. I hated invoking it even before. I was like, people are going to now think. That, yeah. You know, I think I justified no, it in the showgirls discourse that we had the other week. That you know those those qualifiers, good and bad, like they're they're meaningless. But I just think it's a good it's a good totem to kind of invoke when you're talking about like abject quality in films and maybe drawing some level of enjoyment from that. Uh, I do, I don't think this Mm. is analogous. I do think this is intentional, 
um, yeah, there might be scenes in this that are probably a bit cheaper and shittier than than they wanted them to be. Uh, and yeah, I'll let you kind of give the uh, the trivia about the dubbing <laughs> escapade that turned this into like a fucking seventies spaghetti western or like uh, yeah, horror but... film from Italy. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah just, it... I just I just think there's a lot in this film that is like like I agree with you like swimming in these waters. I like I said at the start of this, I thought yeah this is really going to be my shit and I'm gonna yeah it's going to be such a rich uh, text to kind of maybe not only just find jokes to talk about around it but also just to actually appreciate on some level uh, whether it's yeah. intentional or not and I just didn't get that in the way that you did and I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that I found it too unpleasant to even engage with oh no I'll say that the film is front loaded like the last 20 minutes is painful like to get through like that it's, it's not a good ending to the movie I, I will say that there are certain things that popped me like you know, you could tell that they struck on something like, "Oh, this looks good." Like the bit, the spinning camera, like the camera that goes above and it just keeps spinning, like yeah, back and forth. And it's great. just like, <laughs> what, what? It's just like, how did they come across it? The crane shots, the constant crane shots. Like they had a crane, and like we're going to use the crane every day, like no matter what, yeah. we're going to get crane that, shots I, every day. I think that's what you meant about them running out of material, wasn't it? Because every time that the plot theme se- uh, rather seems so thin that there isn't yeah. enough kind of like scene material for them to cut to they just cut to that yeah. kind of like crane shot that flips upside yeah, down spinning. and pans over the whole yeah. club or or even becomes exactly the the uh, stylistic analog that you shared with me uh on whatsapp the other day when you sent me the logical song the scooter video it's like if the if the thing gets <laughs> bored at any point and this might be its most redeeming endearing quality is it just cuts to like scenes in the rave that remind you of the logical song video and that's that's yeah. quite charming in a way <laughs> yeah well i thought like this was the thing that, like there were so many elements of it that i quite liked that were just like they were like they were just maybe a couple quid away from having like a really like quite well done movie I thought uh, you know like I loved like the witches the three witches in it I thought they were like again close to being really well done but it's just just a step away yeah. I think from being great in its portrayal like there's so many things in it where I'm like ah they're so close and it's just like you know I'm going to give them a good rating on that just because it's like I, I appreciate the effort I yeah, don't really appreciate the try yeah I do, I it do failed know, I, there, but there, I liked it there were yeah, it was a, it was a noble failure in some respects, and then your tolerance level for that just kind of depends on what mood you're in, I guess, more Absolutely. than anything at the time. Um, and I, I do think there was another reason why I didn't find it as compelling as I wanted to was because there were things in it which I thought were going to be kind of fleshed out. Like I thought it would have been, I thought it would have been like more incompetent at times and then and, and then it kind of wasn't like you said there's there's a bit of meat on the bone there which is kind of unexpected mm. but then if it, it kind of split the difference for me and then you've got like all these weird um kind of concepts that the film uh has around uh the guy that we referenced before who's like the matrix like architect like guy who's always yes. shot uh, head of the witches that, like control room yeah the head of the witches and it's like oh my god like if they do a whole bit about like how he's kind of like pulling all the strings like i would love how like high concept and stupid that's gonna be but they just kind of left him as like 
a guy that they sometimes cut to and they didn't really like do anything with that so I did, yeah. even within the realms of Rave Macbeth I think there's some glaring missed opportunities uh, <laughs> in there that oh, I would have liked to have seen fleshed out a little bit more <laughs> Let, but yeah taking this movie seriously to- is, uh, is, is a challenge so I, I apologise let's talk for- about the toilet Trying to analyze it. It's yeah, the, the toilet. Okay, go on. You said it's, you said the, something the, about the the politics of the toilet. The unisex toilet that they have there, <laughs> right? That's where he kills his mate. He stabs him. He cleans up all the blood. They put put the body in the toilet. They have a big sort of meltdown moment. They have a dance in there, and no one goes back into the toilet at any stage. This is a nightclub toilet. You're telling me hey. that there aren't women going into the toilet constantly? Like this makes no, no sense. No, no, no. They they do explain that in in the film. The bouncer is told not to let anyone in there. <laughs> but then he fucks off after a couple minutes, and then no one else goes in. Like he's not blocking yeah, the door. I'm I'm with you wholesale. Like I'm only uh, pulling your leg. But there there is because oh, okay. I thought that immediately. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how can they even justify this? And then he does go out, and he's like, or oh, she goes out. I think the Lady Macbeth character's like, yeah, yeah, sure yeah. No one comes in. So they kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they do they they make an attempt to kind of rationalize that plot point, um, but then <laughs> I can't remember film. what happens. But he like he moves away or something, and uh, and then the girl, the one girl that you know obviously shouldn't see it because she's the she's yes. the girlfriend of the slain character, like walks in. <laughs> she's like, no, yeah. oh, I can't believe what uh, you've done. Yeah, and now now she overdoses on E. Do you know what made me laugh was when the was when the <laughs> owner of the club referred to his best mate as Macduff, and I'm like Macduff. I mean, Jesus, it's the it's the only Macbethian name that's really in there, and it's just like Macduff yeah. is the one that you chose. Just the bouncer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. Anyway, um, we're gonna do two things. Give me a rating first off. Oh, it's so tough. Like I, I spent so long at the beginning of this diatribe, like telling you like how much I wanted to like it, but. I have to be honest to my impressions, and they were not good. Um, rate the concept of a rave Macbeth is a five star movie. The yes. reality of rave Macbeth for me, one and a half stars. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, How about you, Joe? Last night I re- I rated it as a four last night, and then I woke up and I'm like, don't be so stupid, and I went three and a half instead on uh, nice. on rave Macbeth. Um, my second question here is. Where do you, I'm going to give you a couple of Shakespeare adaptations and I want you to rank them. Okay, okay yeah, I can do. So you got Ra- Rave Macbeth. You've uh, got that's the um, worst of it. Oh, sorry, you're going to go through them all. Yeah, okay. I've got I've got a few. Michael Almoreda's Hamlet. Uh, yeah. Roman Polanski's Macbeth. Baz yeah. Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And then yeah. the give me the um, Michael Fassbender Macbeth. Give me give me your rankings. Oh. Okay, so the worst one is the Fassbender Macbeth. I totally oh, worse than Rave I t- Macbeth. Oh yeah, absolutely. Rave Macbeth is still Rave Macbeth. Like for all its, <laughs> all its unpleasantness, it's still fucking Rave Macbeth. Uh, do you know what you can sell? You can sell it to people and go like, "Do you want to watch Macbeth? No. Do you want to watch Rave Macbeth? Exactly, yes, I do. Exactly. No matter and how I, shit it ha- is, yeah. And yeah, that's right. And I have the utmost respect for the for the most popular review on Letterbox of Rave Macbeth. Which sincerely argues Rave Macbeth is greater than actual Macbeth. Um, so, <laughs> so bearing that in mind, yeah, the the Fassbender one is just a pointless piece of shit. And I'm so glad yeah. that he then went on to make because uh, I think that got some like weirdly some acclaim from mainstream critics or something. Played I, I, I don't really care. 
yeah, I played it can like, but then he made the Assassin's Creed movie and it killed his fucking career. But to me, that is such a pointless adaptation of Macbeth that um, that Macbeth film should have killed his career. So I'm putting that well, at the, the thing, very bottom. We only got the killer because he did Macbeth and then Assassin's Creed. Like that's the only reason he got the killer because he went off. He went off and he said, like, "I'm just going to race cars." And then he needed something great to entice him back in, and it was David Fincher. Uh, so we have to thank those two movies for that. That is so. There's that. Point. Yeah. Okay. That that yeah. is the only virtue of uh, Joseph Cazell. Am I remembering his name right? Is that is that what he was called? Oh, uh, the Australian yeah. guy did Snowtown, and yeah, um, I honestly don't know. I he did, did Assassin's he Creed did... as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So his Macbeth is at the at the bottom of that list. Uh, mm. Next is obviously Rave Macbeth because I literally have just told you I gave it one and a half stars. I'm, I don't give a shit about it being some kind of brilliant Shakespeare adaptation. It's Rave Macbeth, and you either go with it's that definitely or you not. don't. <laughs> it's not a great uh, adaptation in any sense of it. No, I mean it's it's not even yeah. supposed to be though. It's just it's supposed to be Rave Macbeth. It's not trying to be Macbeth, and in that sense, yeah, that's true. it works very well. So I think that's what you were referring to in your in your review. Um, but yeah, that that's second to bottom. Um, what else did you throw at me? I can't remember now. Uh, Almoreda's uh, Al- Hamlet. Almoreda's pa- Hamlet. Uh, Polanski- yeah. Polanski's Macbeth and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's tough. I really like all of them. All of them for me are are five, four, sorry, not five, four star and above. Uh, Almoreda's mm. Hamlet feels like, like an Abel Ferrara movie um, in terms of the style sometimes. And I, li- I like that. It actually makes all these kind of smart uh, adaptation choices to bring it up to speed mm. and you know make it like it, I mean it, it's quite kind of like a level drama like oh we're doing it as like a yeah as like, uh, as like a New York piece now and 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 the state of Denmark is uh is now like a corporation and stuff like that but I yeah. think the style really elevates it and there are some really quite great performances in that as well I think Carl's amazing as Claudius I think um Jesse is mixed like he's got some good he, he does some parts of Hamlet well some parts not so well but yeah I just love the style of that movie and I think Jesse a, you talking about Ethan cool Hawke and you refer to him as the before Why sunrise the fuck did character? I call him Jesse yeah I, <laughs> I did that's exactly what I did uh, Ethan yeah. sorry but you know already this is that my naming in, yeah. on this pod is fucking terrible but yeah Ethan Hawke yeah. is a mixed Hamlet he's not he, he kind of does he's not a great Hamlet like, he he does the sad boy Hamlet stuff quite well, but when he's trying to be yes. like a convincing like misanthrope and egocentric intellectual, he's not very convincing. Um, but I think the film no. is is really good. I think, um, yeah, I just I just love the way it kind of um, cleverly updates Shakespeare and actually makes American speaking Shakespeare like not only tolerable but quite an interesting aesthetic choice, mm. which I think is not an easy. So that's third. Feat. So that's third. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann's one is absolutely brilliant. Um, yes. probably his, his his best film uh, stylistically grandiose and like a bit of a cinematic mm. buffet it looks fantastic uh, really buy Agreed. into the Claire Danes and Leo uh, central romance as well it's heartbreaking and yeah it's just you know a, a huge emotional canvas and the kind of uh, definitive Baz Luhrmann film really and uh, and an mm. interesting way to update Shakespeare as well I know it's it's almost trite now isn't it I think Hamlet played into that where it's like oh yeah now now it's just all about updating it but I think when it actually came out it was quite a radical um, interpretation mm. and, and a way to adapt that, the play and I think it's really successful in that um, so yeah I really love that film soundtrack as well is fucking amazing uh, yeah. big up the card big up the cardigans um, 
And yeah, no, great number album. one. Great, great album. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, number one for me, Polanski, Macbeth, because the, the for me the tone of Shakespeare is that like old English, like medieval grit and dirt mm. and grime and blood and you know all that shit. And that is just Polanski's interpretation so, to a T. It's like mm. pretty fucking violent for the time. Like feels like really literary. Mm. Um, it's like got these kind of uh, classical. Uh, thespians in the main roles like the the British kind of theatre actors of the time everyone's really compelling and it really draws out like the themes of the play really well and just looks fucking great like it looks like um, it looks like Borman's Excalibur like it's got that real like fucking yeah. like, old timey Kino about it and uh, yeah Polanski's obviously a master filmmaker as well so not only does he understand the the nuances and the the, the, the dramatic core of the play but he knows how to bring mm. that out in a in a cinematic and formal way as well. So yeah, that's that's number one for me. Is there any more films you that you've seen that you think are worth a mention? Just out of that top five, I've just swapped number one and two around for in terms yeah. of my preference. Yeah, just fair just for the bit They're of both great. just for the uh, just for the fish tank uh, kissing you that scene, you know, <laughs> where they see each other through the fish tank, and I'm like, yeah, that's a great oh, bit of cinema. So like, good, I can't deny it. I can't deny it. I can't deny it. Yeah. Oh, other great Shakespeare adaptations. I don't know, to be honest. I'm not really. I'm a bit I'm not a really seen the, 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 the. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say the one for me that I love um, is the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, and it's probably no way near as cinematically interesting as the top three that we just kind of outlined. Um, mm. But because it presents the whole play and it's like an actor who's like obsessed with the role and obsessed with the play and doing it justice and just it feels like it encompasses the Hamlet that I'm obsessed with outside of cinema in a way that all of the other adaptations of any of Shakespeare's plays always feel like like they're interesting cinematic adaptations but that's all they are I think the Branagh Hamlet feels like almost as much of the real Hamlet to me as the play it feels like inexorably tied to that because it literally there's not a single line that it leaves out you know and that was kind of its reason for existing it was like yeah we're going to do this entire thing and I think that's a really mm. noble kind of bold experiment um, that he pulled off with that even if you know from a keener perspective it's not quite at the level of the other ones but for Shakespeare nerds I think it's it's right up there I've never seen it so I should probably dive in at some stage um, uh, with that one uh, anyway Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week. And you know what? We've already referenced the filmmaker we're going to be discussing next week. That's right. We're going to be discussing the uh, the new slash probably last film of Roman Polanski. We're going to be doing The Palace. And we're going to be pairing that with Jean Roland's Grapes of Death. Um, you'll be able to find the uh, links to that in the... Uh, description below to this episode that you're listening to now can't wait to do that because the palace looks like an absolutely hideous piece of work and yeah I, can't, I kind of can't wait to be like repulsed by it like some you know in the way that kind of you were by rave Macbeth, like i probably will be by that movie and uh, jean roland's grapes of death i'm a slight i've seen a couple roland films i think i've seen three of them this is the one that I've not seen. You're excited to see this because it was described as Resident Evil 4, the film. So uh, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's why you're why you're so hyped for it. But yeah, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week to discuss those two films. Um, au revoir. Au revoir. Peace out, guys.